Welcome to episode 739 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I am Ben Lindbergh of Grantland, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello. Hello. This might be the first time I didn't say good morning. I just said hello. Felt very yeah. abrupt. Yeah. I felt like it felt like one of those times when sometimes we'll record something and then later on we'll record something else and you piece them together uh-huh. and it felt like the second half of of that yeah well if it is morning where you are i hope you have a good one but i didn't want to exclude anyone today so we're going to talk about playoffs nice thing about this time of year is that we never have to wonder what to talk about we always have games to talk about that happened or that are about to happen so we can talk about the wildcard games. We can talk about the division series. Is there anywhere in particular you'd like to start? No. Okay. So we didn't do a podcast yesterday, partly because I was covering the game the previous night, and then we were both previewing ALDSs, and that didn't leave a lot of time. But also, probably we didn't do a podcast because there wasn't a whole lot to say about the Yankees Astros wildcard game, and to a lesser extent, there wasn't that much to say about the NL wildcard game either. They were both dominant starting pitcher, starting pitcher performances by dominant starting pitchers, and there was no managerial controversy, no moves that someone could have made to change the outcome. They were not particularly close games. The the Pirates at least threatened at times, which is probably more than the Yankees did against the Astros, but there just wasn't a whole lot of complexity to the games. They were good good teams and good players doing good things. Is that accurate? <laughs> yeah, that's about right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean it yeah, they they uh they they fit the fit the general narrative. I mean we all it seems like with most games with maybe the exception of Blue Jays games and uh, where we talk about their insane right-handed power, and maybe Royals games where we talk about their uh, at times insane defense. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think of another exception: the Cardinals, maybe when we talk about their uh, or the Giants, their postseason voodoo. But otherwise, mostly when we go into a game, big truck just went past. Otherwise, mostly when we go into a game, we're totally obsessed with the starting pitchers. And we talk about whether the starting pitchers are good or bad. And to some degree, I think we fall into the trap that writers sometimes fall into with park adjustments, where you you see every park is either an extreme hitter's park or an extreme pitcher's park. And we tend to, I think, look at pitchers as either uh, unstoppable, unbreakable aces or or just flat-out unreliable. And... um, uh, right now, Arietta and Keuchel are both seen as basically unstoppable. They might be the two Cy Youngs. They might not be, but they might be. And uh, we probably expected something like this from them uh, unreasonably. And then they just went ahead and did exactly what we expected yeah. from them. I do think that I Garrett Cole is an amazing pitcher mm-hmm. and uh, he's you know one of the best pitchers in the game. But I also do kind of think that he got swept into this. Um, uh, kind of, I think people kind of got swept up by the matchup and elevated him to a level that he's not quite at. I mean, he's got amazing stuff, and he's a great pitcher, and he's one of the, I don't know, 14 or 15 best pitchers in the game. But this was not 1A against 1B. This was not Kershaw Arietta. This was not Pedro against Randy Johnson. Or anything like that. Garrett Cole is a really good pitcher who has some bad starts. Yeah. And and most pitchers, even the best, even Kershaw and even Arietta, generally would have some kind of bad starts. Although <clears throat> less and less in in Arietta's case, that's not really true. Mm-hmm. But 
Um, they were not equals going into this game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they could have been. I mean, if you line up, I, I didn't get the time to do this. I was going to just for a unfiltered or something. But if you line up all their starts this year and then just sort of randomly assign them to different dates and have them match up 32 times, um, you know, Cole would outpitch Arietta a bunch, uh, even though he's a worse pitcher. But he is clearly, clearly a worse pitcher. And <laughs> that was not quite necessarily the um the historic meeting of aces i think that it was sort of made out to be yeah it was kind of a corrective to the idea that the pirates were totally doomed and there was no way they could win the game because the cubs had won you know whatever 13 starts in a row that Ariad had made or 17 out of 18 before yesterday and so i wrote you know a tongue-in-cheek piece a couple weeks ago just as soon as it became clear that this was going to be the matchup, just talking about, you know, how Pirates fans should just be depressed in advance because of this and how they should deal with that depression. And everyone kind of wrote that piece. And then there was like a response to that where everyone pointed out, it's just one baseball game and these are really good teams and Pirates have home field advantage and they have one of the best starting pitchers in baseball too. So the actual odds are you know, maybe 60-40 or something, if that, even though it seems like Arietta is unbeatable and that there's no chance. So it was worth pointing out, but I agree that there is a gap between them. I was glad that the Arietta start uh, gave us a chance to, uh, I, uh, both Joe Sheehan and, and Matt Trueblood brought up the Chris Medlin precedent. And yeah, I'm, I, I always too, like, yeah. I, I always yeah. like it when people bring up Chris Medlin because I really hope we don't forget that season that he had uh-huh. like not I, I mean there are I guess I guess it got brought up because it was used as a lesson to keep your expectations low mm-hmm. but also I really liked it that I want that season to stay in our memories because that was a ridiculous season yeah like people don't I don't think even then it got enough credit I mean he had a 157 ERA uh, which is a 256 ERA plus he didn't qualify for the ERA title because he was coming back from an injury but he threw 140 innings with a 256 ERA plus, and he didn't get a single Cy Young vote, which I think, and I'm not saying a first place vote. For a I wild card see, team, yeah. I could see not giving him a first place vote, but I don't know how he's not on a single ballot. I mean, he is basically, like if you take, well, I guess Arietta was really insanely good, so it's not going to really work. But <laughs> Any kind of comparison you try to make to Arietta, it doesn't really work. Well, he did have, though, I mean, he had a lower ERA, he had a higher ERA plus than basically anybody has had, uh, except for uh, Pedro, if you go by ERA plus, and what, anybody? Has anybody had an ERA lower than 157 in, like, did what, Dwight Goodens, I think, might have been around there, but uh, yeah, he was as good as a pitcher could be. And then he went into the wild card game, and he just got hit like a you know like a normal great pitcher sometimes gets hit. Um, but anyway, I had him on my Cy Young ballot, my fake Cy Young ballot. That was a great season. I miss that season. I miss good Chris Medlin. Yeah, I like Chris Medlin. Well, you'll get to see him soon, probably. So, uh, yeah. So Arietta, uh, like every fun fact about Arietta, there are so many that they kind of. Just wash over your brain, and it's hard to appreciate them, but they are all incredible. Just, I mean, his ERA just gets lower and lower and lower when you wouldn't think it could continue to get lower. He just does not allow runs anymore. If you knew nothing about Arietta, if you just did a blind test and you put, if you showed, you know, an Arietta starter or a few Arietta pitches to someone who didn't know Arietta was on this ridiculous run, yeah. do, do you think... No. You would be impressed? Oh, impressed, I mean, I, yeah. You'd be impressed, but... Impressed, but, I mean, you'd say, you'd, you'd confidently say top dozen pitcher in baseball. I'm not sure you'd, I'm not sure that you would know enough to say top three. Like, it wouldn't blow my mind if you then told me. Like, I watch him, and I see his numbers, and I go, yeah, those add up. Mm-hmm. But the, it's not, um, it's not super obvious on its face that he's that much better than the 10th best pitcher in baseball he doesn't like i would say that the guys who have that randy johnson had that because of the body particularly i mean you just you could just imagine that coming out of his hand Mm -hmm. and because he was throwing so much harder than anybody else was throwing at the time darvish has that 
Uh, Darvish and Strasburg both have that. Yeah. And uh, Pedro had that. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, I mean, to me, Arietta is a lot more like Roger Clemens, where it's just, I, I don't want to use the analogy that, that is coming to mind because I probably will use it at some point in a playoff recap. But it's just this really, it's good, high-quality stuff that he just executes one pitch after another. It's like uh, the analogy, not the analogy, but like the, the, the image, the visual is more like kind of like a train, which is just kind of powerfully going across this long expanse with seemingly no effort. <laughs> like it's just boom, 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 hitting you over and over and over again. But, I mean, I if you put him and Harvey up against each other on pitches alone, like I think that the there's some similarity in the pitches and particularly to like a non-scout like like us there's some similarity to the pitches and to me Harvey's look a little prettier and uh-huh. Arietta's uh execution is probably a seems a little better uh-huh yeah well it, it doesn't look like he's in another league but he he has been I think Fernandez looks better Jose Fernandez looks better on a pitch by pitch basis yeah that's probably true I wouldn't think Kershaw was Mm-hmm. Was either though? I mean, I to me Kershaw is a guy who looks like maybe a top six or a top eight pitcher based on just watching his pitches and knowing nothing else about him, or maybe a top ten. But you don't necessarily see the jump from six to clear, obvious number one historical all time ace. Yeah, uh, in his stuff either. Mm-hmm. And the Pirates hit some balls hard. They wait, wait. Can I just say one yeah, more thing? Sure. Though? Arietta's body, though, oh my gosh. <laughs> He's got, like, I just was staring at him the entire game. Like, the body is incredible. Uh-huh. Like, he is, he is the most, I think he's the most muscular pitcher of our lifetimes. <laughs> um, that can't be true. I, I think that, I mean, it's, it, you don't see pitchers who are built exactly. You see pitchers who are thick. You see pitchers who are strong. You see pitchers who are broad or tall. Or uh, have uh, sinuous muscles or whatever, but like he just looks like, like just a like he looks like a dude who works out. You know, uh-huh. like he's really strong. He's I don't know. I was, and he's got posture. He's got a posture that you don't normally see from pitchers. How were his I calves? I I don't know about yeah, his calves. You don't know. You have no idea. Yeah, um. yeah I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> all right. Uh, so yeah, so he. He gave up some hard hit balls. There were the two double plays that were hit very hard. A bunch of line drives and balls at Bryant and a couple full counts in there. So it, he didn't look, I don't know, when you look at his final line, it looks better than I thought he looked. Well, especially from innings five on. Uh, yeah. Five, five on, six on, five or six. Five and six, six, six on. Yeah. Six on. Mm-hmm. From, from innings five on, he had 60 pitches. And 44 of them were strikes. And probably seven of those were outside the box on the screen. Uh-huh. And so he was benefiting from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, he was much more, I think, in command and much more efficient the first five. And then the, from the sixth on, any one of those innings could have gotten away from him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Could have. They didn't because right. he's good. And the margin is, I mean, he's got a lot bigger margin for air because all of his stuff is good. Um, and he throws so much of it. But yeah, from the from the sixth on, he was somewhat vulnerable. Anyway, that's how wild card games go. <laughs> so, um, and had, does Keuchel's like the magic that he has? Does that seem like something you would want to bet on long term? Like it, it, there's nothing fluky about it. He's he's great. Like he just he seems to consistently hit the spot that he's aiming for, which is, you know, three inches off the edge of the strike zone. And he does it with an incredible consistency and seems to do that better than anyone else and just gets us extra strikes, whether because of his command being amazing or that plus a, a good receiving catcher. And he gets ground balls and he even strikes people out now. And it totally, uh, it, it, you get the feeling he could just keep throwing those pitches in there forever and no one could ever hit them. But it just seems like the sort of thing that, like, man, he just has to slip a tiny, tiny little bit and it won't work anymore. Yeah, I'm going to look at Tom Glavin right now. But, I mean, it's kind of like 
Uh, if you had to choose between Tom Glavin and Kevin Brown in 1998, uh-huh. uh huh, to some degree, and you know, both both ended up with Hall of Fame level careers. I don't know. I don't know that there's there's a clear bias against the guy who throws soft yeah. or softer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not as obvious to us, and it seems somewhat more. Uh, I don't know. Like it. It's. For, I think that you and I, perhaps having some some kind of very very weak uh, athletic experience in our history, we know what it's like to be a. Uh, finesse type player to be a a person who has to have the feel on everything you know like uh-huh. when I was when I was a kid I had to I had to be in the right mindset to hit to put the bat on the ball and I had to hit it just right to get a hit or I had to locate it just right to get a pitch passed and it seemed like the guys who were athletes didn't have to do that they were always they were athletes every single day there was like never a day when they weren't athletes whereas there were days where I was out of rhythm so maybe we are remembering our own vulnerability and the seeming invulnerability of people who were uh, who were big and strong. I would say that I would not bet on Keuchel or Arietta to be in the top three in Cy Young voting next year. I might pick them over other people. I'd, like if I had to pick three, I might pick those three. But if the bet was simply, will this player be in the top three in Cy Young voting, 50% mm-hmm. uh, one way or the other, I would vote no on both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know which one really has. I don't know if there's a, a any particular repeatability skill in one of their skill sets more than the others. Uh-huh. All right. Is there anything else we should say about the wild card games? The Yankees were kind of I think lost in a sort of a depressing way, but I think not in an unexpected way. They I did looked uh, like a team that would lose that way for most of the second half. Did you uh, did you see whether there was any explanation from AJ Hinch for why he took Keuchel out after six, uh, other than you know what we would presume? No, uh, like it wasn't it wasn't that Keuchel said I'm gassed. It wasn't uh, uh, you know some sort of like clear short rest thing or anything like that. No, he didn't really address that after the game. I I don't think anyone was. I don't know. No one was surprised enough about it to ask about it, I guess. Or it was, uh, yeah, I don't know. He, he sort of, he'd given up a couple. Well, I don't even know if he, he gave up a couple hard hit balls, I guess. But, but maybe, yeah, it was just wanting to bring him back and the Yankees just looking like they weren't ever going to hit a baseball. But I guess you could have wondered about that yesterday too, right? About Madden leaving Arietta in for the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I have no, no real enthusiasm for like debating managerial moves in these games because they were. I'm not. Just, yeah, so. I'm not. I'm not debating. I'm just wondering. It was an aggressive. It was an aggressive poll of his starter, and I'm wondering whether uh, that is a sign that that uh, hint. I mean, because that was a break from uh, what most managers would do. It was notable, and I'm wondering whether it it forecasts that Hinch is going to be. That we're going to see the first like extremely aggressive postseason manager hook uh-huh. uh, that we've seen, which we always, when we do debate manager moves, we usually lean on the side of that of the aggressive hook. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Hinch was not an extremely aggressive hooker no. throughout the uh, throughout the season. He was uh, like kind of what like 60, 70th percentile or something like that. But he was not Madden, and he was not the Rays. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but maybe uh, in the postseason with the different schedule and the different stakes and the deeper bullpen, maybe he will. I don't know. Yeah, could be. Okay. Shall we move on? Yeah, your show. <laughs> it's our show. All right. So ALDS is uh, you wrote about Royals and Astros. I wrote about both. The I guess if we can start with Rangers and Blue Jays because that game starts first. The... Blue Jays are just, you know, they're the team that there's no reason to pick against. They're just really good at everything, just kind of in an almost unprecedented way that Matt Trueblood noted a couple months ago that it looked like they might be the first team since 1950 at least to lead the majors in true average and defensive efficiency and base running runs 
they ended up missing by like two base running runs uh, compared to the Rangers, who they are playing. But they are just amazing at everything. They've hit like the 1927 Yankees for the whole second half. They're the best team against right-handed hitters, right-handed pitchers, even though they're heavily right-handed, which is kind of amazing. Like they had the second highest percentage of right-on-right plate appearances this year after the Tigers, and yet they were still better against righties than any other team, and clearly better against lefties, and just miles better in the whole second half, and uh, they can run, and they can play defense, and they're good at everything, and they can pitch now too, because they have Price, and because they have Stroman, and I don't totally buy Marco Estrada. He, I mean, he has a crazy BABIP. It's like the lowest BABIP in the DH era for anyone who has pitched 180 innings. And that's what is it? What is it? It's like 216. And that's, you know, yeah, that's the lowest BABIP since going back to 1973. And league BABIP in the 70s and 80s was like 20 points lower at times. So it's kind of incredible that he has the lowest. And, Mike Petriello wrote about it using StatCast stuff and showing how he he's an extreme fly ball pitcher and he gets tons of vertical movement and soft contact and all of these things. And I can buy to some extent that maybe he has the profile of a low Babbitt pitcher, but this is insane. So I, I don't know if he's that great, but he's, you know, whatever, a mid-rotation guy. And then R.A. Dickey, who'll be starting game four, has been great for half a season. He's been Mets R.A. Dickey, not... Cy Young Mets R.A. Dickey, but the two years before the Cy Young R.A. Dickey, which was really good. So uh, pretty much every one of their starters gives you confidence. And the Rangers, other than Hamels, who is going to start game two, they've got Gallardo today. And by the time a lot of people listen to this, he will have pitched already. But Gallardo is about as shaky as I can imagine a starter being like he hasn't hasn't gone beyond six innings since August, and I, or he hasn't gone six innings since August. He hasn't gone beyond six innings since June or something. Not that you would necessarily want him to go six innings in the postseason, but the fact that he didn't during the regular season tells you that he was not very effective during that time. And then Derek Holland has like the fourth highest home run rate allowed to right-handers over the last several years, and he's going to be facing the best right-handed home run hitting team in Texas, which seems really scary. And then whether you go with Colby Lewis or Martin Perez, it's just just a guy. So I, I don't know that there's any reason to not pick the Blue Jays in four or something, which is what I ended up doing. And the Rangers have been good. I mean, the, the full season stats for both of these teams don't really reflect what they are today. They both made major deadline additions the rangers have hit a lot better and they've just been a lot better but they haven't been nearly as good at anything as the blue jays and really even the bullpen and the rangers have gotten much better there too but the blue jays are really good there also they've got aaron sanchez in the pen now who's been great and i think the main difference is that the rangers have really worked their relievers very very hard uh, guys like Sean Tolleson and Sam Dyson are among the league leaders in innings pitched. And then, you know, Keela has been having injury elbow issues because he was worked hard too. So anyway, it's not clear how much those guys have left or whether they can really ramp it up in October like other teams might be able to. So the couple couple of questions first of all i think we talked about this at one point but i think you're i think you should never pick a team in four or in a seven game series in six i think it's uh yeah we we well we talked about whether a team is more likely like if the team is better is it more likely to win in four or five and there wasn't yeah. there wasn't it's because it's I was like a saying, coin flip there's almost no yeah difference. right there's no difference i don't think yeah i think that the, i think that in this case I bet you that if you ran a series out, I bet the sweep. In a five-game series, I bet the sweep would be the plurality. So huh. you should just pick the sweep. Yeah, it's, I, I thought about it, but it just seems... No, seems... I'm not even saying because the Blue Jays are that much better. I uh-huh. think that I bet if you took two teams and one was better than the other, 
or even if it wasn't better than the other, even if they were perfectly equal, I bet you that in a five-game series, sweep happens more than either a four or a five-game. Just a guess. I don't know about this. We'll have to look. Zach, uh, Zachary Levine maybe can can yeah. revise the math that we had him do yeah. for us. I remember but, it being very counterintuitive, whatever it was picking, last year. Yeah, picking four is the coward's way out. That's like <laughs> that's like putting a 75 tool on a guy. He just the real, real, you know, real, real decision makers don't do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Uh, secondly, uh, if the Rangers and the Blue Jays, as currently composed, played 162 times, how many wins would the Blue Jays have in that season? I think they'd have like 88. I think they might have like 106. <laughs> About that. But, but they are, yeah, I mean, they're way better. Uh, all right. Uh, thirdly, uh, are you disappointed? Maybe he's hurt, but are you disappointed that they did not put Muninori Kawasaki on the roster? <laughs> a, a little bit. I'm very disappointed. I'm, yeah. I especially as a person who at the end of the postseason most years goes back and picks one gif for every game in a postseason roundup. Mm-hmm. It's going to be much harder without the <laughs> Kawasaki. I mean, what? How many Cliff Pennington gifs <laughs> am I really going to find? And Cliff Pennington is every bit as bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, Muninori is just this great, awesome smile. He is the bubble machine. Yeah. The, like the Dodgers home run bubble machine. He is that, except uh-huh. for all the time. And you don't have to homer. You just have to be around him. Um, finally, my actual point is that this is the closest analogy to uh, last year's Royals-Angels series, mm-hmm. uh, where the Royals were uh, s- seen going in by Pakoda and by many as clearly the the worst postseason team. Uh just based on the way that they had played uh, as an offense and as a defense and pitching staff. And they went up against the Angels, who had 98 wins, the most in the in baseball, but a fairly, uh, a fairly non-elite starting rotation, um, which the Blue Jays definitely have. The Blue Jays, if you looked just at the starting rotations and put them up against any playoff team except the Rangers they would be at a disadvantage, right? It'd be a mismatch. Um, it seems to me that Dickey and Estrada are borderline postseason starters. Um, but it won't matter because, the A, the Rangers are also have a borderline uh, starting rotation for a postseason team and are much worse in every other facet of the game. And the Rangers, uh, the Blue Jays have David Price, which the mm-hmm. Angels had nothing of the sort. Right. The other, the other difference is that the Angels had lost their ace, Garrett Richards, but, you know, don't forget how good that team was last year. I mean, every player in their lineup was an above-average hitter, mm-hmm. uh, and usually comfortably so. They had a lot of good defenders, and they had the best player in baseball on their team. But, uh, yeah, there's no reason to think that this will be the the place to pick your upset, mm-hmm. other, other than the fact that you would get the most upset points for right. picking it. I'm looking, I'm looking to see. We have, so, like, uh, actually, in assuming these are updated and I didn't check. So I'll have to check in a second to make sure they're updated. But last year there were games between the angels and the Royals where Pakoda had the angels as like a 70% favorite in, uh-huh. in an individual game. Uh, and the blue Jays are like 62, 59, 61, 59. I don't know the last one. And it, again, let me double check because it's possible that none of these have actually been run appropriately. Uh, but if that's true, that's, you know, it's a mismatch, but not, it's not, it doesn't cease to be baseball. No. Yeah, the, the Blue Jays don't even strike out. That's the incredible thing about oh, their offense to me, is that they have the best power and the best patience, and you would think that they would strike out a lot, because generally those things are correlated. If you hit for a lot of power, you probably swing hard, and if you draw a lot of walks, you probably take deep counts. And therefore, you strike out a lot. But no, the Blue Jays don't even strike out a lot. They have the fifth lowest strikeout rate in baseball. So they just, they're really good. <laughs> Edwin, yeah, Edwin Encarnacion is a national treasure uh-huh. in that in that regard. And I guess Batista is too. Neither one of those guys strikes out very much for what they are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yet they draw walks, like you yeah. say. I mean, there are lots of guys who, there have been guys who have power 
and strike out less than a power hitter does. Mm-hmm. But to have as many walks as strikeouts yeah. while also hitting 40 home runs, which those guys do, is <laughs> crazy. ridiculous. I know. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know, like, I don't even know the mechanics. That, like, how do their plate appearances go? Like, what is a typical plate appearance? Because you, you, it is hard to draw four balls without at least getting two strikes on you. And if you have two strikes on you a lot, well, there's going to be... There's going to be strike threes. You just can't avoid it. Like There's a very predictable and simple way that plate appearances progress. And I don't know what the progression is that gets you 110 walks with 106 strikeouts unless you're just like completely shortening up your swing. And he had 40 home runs. And it, Batista only had two intentional walks. So it's not like they're pitching him like extremely deferentially. Edwin Encarnacion only had five. So if you look at those as some sort of proxy for how much they're going after you, uh, it's not even that they're being pitched around. Because they can't be pitched around. Every player, <laughs> Every other player is really good. <laughs> yeah. um, well, let's see. Where, where, did their, uh, where did their zone rates rank? I bet they probably have one of the lowest zone rates just because of the power and everything. So let's see. Lowest zone rate in baseball, Eric Hosmer. So Encarnacion is 36th lowest zone rate and Bautista's 47th lowest yes. zone rate, which is, you know, yeah, not elite. And that's not, yeah, not that, enough to explain this. Yeah. So by the way, I, I know you mentioned Stroman, but Stroman always escapes my mind when I'm thinking about things for mm-hmm. obvious reasons. Because he wasn't that, supposed to be here. Yeah, and so Stroman is, you know, it's he's not as certain as David Price to be an awesome pitcher, mm-hmm. but if he is an awesome pitcher the way he was down the stretch, then yeah, that rotation ceases to be at all postseason borderline. It's yeah. a little soft at the back, but I mean, those are two horses at the front. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the bullpen's pretty deep. I mean, it's Sanchez has been great, and Osuna's been fine, typical closer numbers, and They've got Brett Cecil, and they have, like, even their middle innings guys have all been good, like uh, Liam Hendricks and Mark Lowe and even Latroy Hawkins and Aaron Loop. Like, you know, none of those names is all that intimidating, but they all have really good numbers, and they're not guys you would be scared to see in the fifth or sixth innings. So, yeah, I they're just, <laughs> like... They're just, like, even Darwin Barney has slugged 600 for the Blue Jays. I don't even, just everyone. Ryan Goins, like, walks all the time now, somehow. And, like, on their bench, probably a lot of the time, they have Chris Colabello, who would be the best hitter on the Rangers, at least as far as his numbers this year. So it's uh, it's a mis- mismatch, and, you know, typical disclaimers about five-game series apply, as always, but... This is uh, a really good team right now. And even if Kubowitzki doesn't hit, which I don't have a lot of confidence in, since he hasn't hit all year particularly well and he says he's still in pain, just the defense since he got there and since they've made some other moves has been really strong too. And that doesn't seem to have been affected all that much by his non-hitting. So yeah, anyway, Blue Jays are, are a powerhouse. Yeah, I want to just uh, clarify that only the first two games that I cited odds for uh, are actually have we actually run. So whatever I said for the third and or fourth are fiction made up. Okay. All right. So that's that series. And then there's the Royals-Astros series. By the way, the Blue Jays designated Danny Valencia for assignment when he was hitting 296 with a 506 slugging. They just didn't even didn't even need yeah, that because <laughs> he's a lefty masher and everyone on their team is a lefty masher and Calabella is a lefty masher so they just you know just put him on waivers <laughs> whatever yeah. just guy slugging five hundred just yeah. one one of the group and not it's not like it was this was known at the time like there was nothing there was even at the time everybody was like oh, he might be the best player ever <laughs> DFA'd yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's a scary team. He basically he basically had Steve Pierce's 2014 season. Yeah. And <laughs> and in the middle of it, he was unemployed. 
And not well, like so I mean, was Steve, Steve Pierce. Pierce was. Steve <laughs> Pierce was too, but Steve Pierce didn't play before he had his season. Half of his half of Valencia's season happened before he was DFA. Steve Pierce, MVP <laughs> vote getter, Steve Pierce, I think. Uh no. no. How did Steve Pierce not get an MVP vote? God. You know, I look. I I mentioned Medlin. Now I'm mentioning Steve Pierce. I know, and maybe it's a little different with MVP, but I know that playing time is a significant part of being a good baseball player, mm-hmm. but I think I think guys who have great seasons in partial time get not enough love in postseason votes. I mean, a lot of times you're not playing for reasons that are outside your control and aren't even health-related. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like with MVP, fine. Maybe, maybe that one it's easy. But for a Cy Young, you give the guy extra credit for pitching more, but if you're the best pitcher and you only threw 140 pitches, uh, 40 innings, and the question is who was the best pitcher, I don't feel like lack of innings excludes you. It might not quite get you to the top, but it does not exclude you. And I think that's especially true with Rookie of the Year. If your team holds you down until June and you outplay everybody else, but your war is lower because some 25-year-old um, was up on opening day and, and got 250 extra at-bats, to me... Not a factor. Go with the best guy. Go with whoever played best. As mm. long as it's enough that you, uh, as long as it's a big enough sample that you feel like it's uh, an honest representation of his performance, do it. Go for it. Mm. Voters listening, let's let's break the uh, the tyranny of playing time. All right. All right. I feel like the opposite is maybe the case <laughs> that playing time doesn't get enough credit. But anyway, did you hear? Did you hear Cal Ripken say "conveniently wild" last night? Uh, no, I saw it in the Facebook group, but I didn't hear it. As it, it was like he was going out of his way to avoid <laughs> mentioning us. Yeah, I've never. Heard it sounded that. awkward. I've never heard that formulation. Yeah. All right, Astros Royals. Do you want to take this one? Nah, no. I mean... <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, so this one, I think, is close. Closer than you would think if you just went by the records. Yeah, very close. Very close. The run differentials are very close. The Astros have the better run differential, even though they were like a 57 and 60 team over their last however many games or something, like, you know, worse than any other playoff team. They are better than that. (laughs) And I don't, I wrote about them in May, early May, trying to explain their success and their. In a lot of ways, the same formula that they were using then, they are still using now. They strike out a lot. They hit a ton of fly balls. A lot of those fly balls go out because they hit them harder and farther than pretty much anyone else. They are tied with the Blue Jays for most home runs, if you count the two wild card game home runs. They don't hit into double plays because of the the strikeouts and the fly balls and the surprisingly decent speed so their offense works it's like it's the offense that if they do go a few games without scoring everyone is going to say what people were saying about the Yankees in the wild card game the usual they hit too many home runs or or they score a higher percentage of their home runs than other teams and that doesn't work in the playoffs that sort of myth which i firmly believe not to be true but uh and the Astro, the Royals are obviously the complete opposite of that. They are the extreme contact team, although not solely that anymore, the way that they were last year. They still don't walk anymore. They still don't walk. They have the lowest walk rate in the league. But as opposed to last year when they had the fewest home runs, and we all thought it was crazy that a team with the fewest walks and the fewest home runs was doing well in the playoffs, this year they hit some home runs. They hit more home they runs. They hit a lot of home runs. Well, they hit like 50 more home runs. Well, everyone did, I think. I mean, there were more home runs hit this year, but they were still toward the bottom, I think. Okay. But they, you know, they they were not at the bottom. They hit more home runs than the Cardinals did. Um, so they have some power now because they have Kendris Morales and Hosmer and Mustakis and Kane, all of those guys increase their totals so they have some power now they are not just a a slap hitting running team league um, average slugging percentage yeah okay partly partly because the extra base hits and stuff. yeah right um so uh they are good in that respect the bullpens i guess is 
kind of an interesting thing. Everyone knows about the Royals bullpen, and they lost Holland, but they got Madsen, and that was pretty much an even exchange this year, and they still have a pretty deep pen, you know, roughly as good as last year's, maybe not quite as good. Oh, I think I think better. Better, really? I think, I, yeah, I do. I think better. It, part, now, I think that the... What what do, the, what do they call it? D V D D A. What, oh, what yeah, it? yeah. Um, DVD. DVD. What's the V? H G H. What did they call that thing? <laughs> um, uh, it was H-H- DVD. H. It would no. Is H D H. No. Oh well, the Holland Davis Herrera was H D H. What was the? Wait, what was DVD? It? DVD. DVD was, was Diamond Volquez Danks when the Rangers. Had the prospects. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> why do we even remember that? I don't know. Why do we? We barely why, do. Why do I think that there was a? Because H G H D H doesn't sound like anything. So we wouldn't have called them H D H, would we? Have? I think it Did was. We? It was said. All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Royal H D H. Well, it was. No other combination was as deadly as H D H. H D H became popular. Uh, lots of references to HDH, but HDH isn't a thing. We got to be better with our <laughs> with our cleverness. All right. Anyway, uh, I think that those three guys last year uh, were like well, I, it's a little different because I'm thinking of Holland as 2014 Holland and ra- yeah. not September and October 2014 Holland. And knowing now what we know, mm-hmm. Holland wasn't actually as good as we thought he was. And um, Herrera was having like one of those magic years where he just didn't give up any runs for, and it wasn't clear that he was actually that dominant, but at a certain point you just said, okay, I guess he is. Davis uh, was Davis was more dominant though last year, right? I mean, not ERA-wise. Not really. ERA-wise is exactly Dude, the same. Yeah, I mean, was he more dominant? He he had that no, no extra base hits thing going. And, uh, and no yeah, home his, runs thing. His FIP was better last year. And yeah, his strikeout rate was better, and his walk rate was slightly worse. But yeah, the no, like, didn't he not give up an extra base hit or something? Uh, well, he hasn't any... given up a home run for ages, and he's he gave up uh, a few this year. Last year, he oh yeah, he, he gave... and Herrera hadn't given up a home run all year. Uh huh. Or maybe had Holland given up a home run? I, it, there was a crazy. No, it, it was him and Herrera. Yeah, man, it, it's it's uh. Boy, memories, bad, <laughs> half half formed memories. Aren't yeah. these great? <laughs> these barely there memories. Uh, what? So Holland uh, Davis had something like a like a fly ball. Hadn't like he had a babip of zero on fly balls or something like that or uh-huh. something for a really long time. Ah, whatever. So all right. So we're gonna say that uh, HGH was more dominant than their seven, eight, nine guys this year. That's my point. Is that yes, that was more dominant, and yeah. maybe that's. Maybe that's most of what matters in the postseason, and we saw how many innings they were able to throw and all that. Um, still, in, still incredible, but not not necessarily uh, unprecedentedly incredible. There's probably three or four teams that have, when you really break it down, incredible seven, eight, nine options. But the Royals bullpen is much deeper this year, I think. I mean, uh, they had last year they were relying on you know Jason Fraser and and Brandon Finnegan at times, and that was about as deep as they went. It's not bad. It's fine, but it was just fine. And I feel like Morales is better. I feel like Danny Duffy is a real, an actual real weapon this -hmm. year. Um, And uh, because, I mean, Danny Duffy, last year, he should have been the fourth dominant guy in that bullpen, but he disappeared. We never saw him because, for whatever reason, he wasn't, allowed to pitch very often mm-hmm. uh he was allowed to be seen on camera uh, sulking a little bit uh <laughs> yeah. but that was his postseason role um and now i think that this year he's a he's available he pitched in relief in september which sort of hints that he will be there he mm-hmm. was pitched really well pitched ex- well that's what i'm saying he mm-hmm. pitched extremely well in september and in reasonably high leverage so that it does kind of indicate that they're going to use him and danny duffy is a guy who is a good starter, should be a dominant reliever from the left side with uh, who completely shuts down lefties. And um, so I'm just mostly saying I think that between those guys and maybe Medlin, 
And really, Hochevar's not a bad pitcher. They had worse pitchers in their bullpen by far than Hochevar last year. They could uh, they could go you know six a really good six deep as opposed to just three and then hold your breath. Okay, I think they are slightly worse at the things that got them there last year or that we all uh, made a big fuss about. The defense and the bullpen, I think are I think are slightly worse, but still elite still maybe the best in baseball or very close to it so they are still really good at those things and they are better at things that they weren't good at last year so on the whole i think it's probably a better team but they tim are collins remember tim collins yeah yeah sure. he, he was bad he was in their rotation last or in their bullpen last year he was he wasn't even he wasn't even like J- jason fraser good mm-hmm. he's just he was just bad yeah and they carried him yeah so mm-hmm. So, and then the Astros bullpen is kind of a weird thing because if you look at war or DRA or whatever, they look like the best bullpen in baseball, maybe. And if you look at September, they look like the worst. So I don't know whether some of their guys are gassed or not as good as they were for much of the year or whether September was the mirage and they actually are still really good, but... It doesn't seem like a liability. I don't know whether it's a Royals-level strength, but it's somewhere in between. I don't know. It's not as intimidating a bullpen because they, like, neither the Astros starters or relievers throw hard. They have the lowest velocity, I think, of any bullpen and maybe of any starting rotation, too. It's like, like Lance McCullough is, like, the only guy who really throws very, very hard on their team. So... It doesn't seem like as intimidating a bullpen, but for much of the year, most of the year, it was just as effective, if not more so. So they, um, I think that they have, uh, they're not as good at the top as the Royals. Yeah, and that's, there's no Davis. Right, there's no Davis, and that's m- m- the the most likely spot where a postseason series is going to be won or lost. So in that sense, it's a liability. If you put their their seven guys up against the Royals seven guys and had them throw um you know 23 innings or whatever uh I wouldn't expect any difference to emerge I think they're comparable groups as groups uh but yes there's it's the where they diverge is more likely to be the moment where a series turns and they're perfectly competent at that spot too they just don't have Davis I'm curious would you start Fires or McCullers, and have knowing that the other one is a, a guy in your bullpen. Yeah, I guess I would start Fires and have McCullers as a Casimir tandem guy because Casimir's starting in game two, and that's pretty scary because he is he's been bad for the second straight year. He kind of tailed off and he hasn't thrown as hard. And I I think like uh, four of his six September starts he went four and a third or shorter so it's hard to have much confidence in him so i think i'd probably use mccullers as the tandem guy with casimir i think i would use so if you were going to do that i would use fires as the tandem guy with casimir and then hope you don't have to use him Uh and and if casimir gets through that game um or you know goes through six and you know that now you don't have to use fires and you can hold him for game four then mccullers is immediately in my bullpen and maybe I'm crazy, but in my estimation, becomes the second best reliever in the series. Yeah, McCullers is really good. He's yeah. really good. <laughs> and I mean, you could really see him having, like, being the difference maker if he were. Now, you might need him in the rotation, and rotation takes precedent, uh, takes priority. Mm-hmm. But uh, you could imagine him being, like, insane, like, completely yeah. hot fire mm-hmm. coming out of the bullpen. And, yeah. uh, It'd be kind of nice. I don't know if it. they don't have another guy who can tandem other than those, though. That's, right. You sort of. If you do have to go to someone in the third, then it's either McCullers or Fires. There's not another guy in the bullpen who you can really go to without, uh, you know, breaking him. Would you have started Casimir? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, man, he is really shaky, but I guess you have to start him. But yeah, McCullers uh, is really good. I don't know how much innings are a concern with him because he's thrown so many more than he ever has before. I don't know whether they're worried about his arm or not even thinking about that now. 
but yeah, he's he is a weapon. And the rest of the rotation, obviously, there's the pretty sizable wild card penalty of not getting to use Keiko until game three, and only getting to use him once. And that probably made the difference for me when I was picking a winner in this series. Like if they had had Keiko lined up for game one or two, I might have picked the Astros. But as it is, they don't. They only get to use him once. And McHugh is good. He's fine. He's been pretty good down the stretch. And then Casimir is shaky and Fires is, you know, fine. But eh. And the Royals have a not exactly a lockdown rotation either. Ventura has been really great since midseason, since not exactly since he was almost demoted, but since a few starts after he was almost demoted, he has been really good, like better than he was last year, as good as we always thought someone who throws as hard and has his stuff should be. He's finally striking out a ton of guys, like way more than a batter per inning. So he's been great. He is, yeah, he is, after the near demotion, he is Garrett Cole. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, for By his strikeout rate, by his peripherals, by his ERA, and also by his um, <clears throat> sexy, sexy pitch types. Right. Uh, he is Garrett Cole. And so that's, if you felt good about having Garrett Cole at the front of your rotation, and you believe that this is a permanent Jordano Ventura and not simply a 10-start stretch that could go poof just as quickly as everybody else's 10-start stretch, then the Royals uh, are should be confident. Now, whether Cueto follows the same logic mm-hmm. and therefore you're stuck with Cueto starting twice uh, is a question. And the nice thing about being a fan is that you can just cherry-pick. Yeah, <laughs> so... Well, so it sounded, based on Andy McCullough's reporting, that they were going to start Cueto in Game 1, that that was the plan, and then Cueto yep. didn't feel comfortable with it, and he preferred not to, but he is... He, not, he didn't prefer not to start Game 1. He would have had to pitch on short rest right. at some point in September to get there. He didn't want to do that, and then I think, I don't know if this factored in, but you could see it perhaps factoring in. It's uh, It seems clear that they... Uh, intend to use their number one starter on short rest if it's an elimination game. Yeah. And so then Cueto essentially would have been in a position where he would have had to be that guy too. And Cueto doesn't, has never started on short rest and didn't want to start on short rest. Mm-hmm. Which would make him a lot less valuable if he were a guy that you really, really, really wanted to start a couple times in this series as you would think he would have been. Or well, he will. He will start a couple times in the series on full rest. Yeah, on full rest, right. So, uh, the anyway... If they, if, it's a, if they decide to go with Ventura on short rest. Otherwise, then you're right. If yeah. they decide not to, then yeah, he would only start once. And I don't even know whether that's... <laughs> I don't know whether you want him. I, it's hard to say. I mean, when they traded for him, he was one of the, what, five best pitchers in baseball, something like that. And he's just been shaky since an initial first few good starts and there was the whole Sal Perez catching thing which we talked to Andy about and even since then since that change in four starts he's been decent but he has like a 3.2 ERA or something but in 25 innings he's struck out 15 and walked nine and those are just not really Cueto numbers so I'm not sure if, if he's I don't know, fully healthy or fully comfortable or whatever it is, but he doesn't inspire the confidence that the Royals envisioned him inspiring when they traded for him. And then Volquez is, uh, I don't know, he fits into the kind of category of other guys we've been talking about, the Fires, Estrada, Dickey class, I think, of just, you know, pretty good league average type guy. Um, I I just reread yesterday the wild card recap i wrote last year when he pitched against bumgarner uh-huh. and uh man did i bury him <laughs> just just unrelenting <laughs> anti-volquez writing from sam miller over here yep and uh he's been better but not you know he's been better this is his best year even yeah. even on a even on an analyst uh, from was, an analyst last year well, was for, still better i think by era but if you look at the other stuff I think that you would conclude that, I mean, my whole point last year was that in 2014, 
Volquez was essentially completely the same as he'd been the previous five years. Yeah. And he just had a crazy BABIP, and that was it, and we're smarter than that. This year he's kind of improved a, a little bit. He's mm-hmm. pro- he's probably a genuinely league average pitcher this year, but it's, it's still a little shaky. But yeah. I, I buried him too much. He's a lot of his that. success was contra- concentrated at the beginning of the year, too, so yeah. I, I don't know. When he didn't, yeah. He, I, wrote, I also wrote about how he had gone from being like the wildest pitcher in baseball to like the the best control in baseball for like seven starts mm-hmm. and uh or four starts yeah and uh and since then he has had his normal walk rates yeah but anyway and then fine. game four you have to choose between medlin or young maybe or bring back ventura if they're losing possibly but if you choose between medlin and young then you have the extreme fly ball guy and the good ground ball guy in Houston, and maybe you don't want to start the extreme fly ball guy there. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, not not against now. And remind me how the um, batted ball uh, matchups work. Fly ball pitcher against fly ball hitters is bad. Fly ball hitters against ground ball pitchers is good. Fly, right or for. Like, from from the hitter's perspective, yeah, the opposite rather, is yeah. good. It favors the hitter. So the the Astros are also an extreme fly ball hitting team. So that's yes, true. the the park hurts young. The matchup arguably helps him. Yes, that's true. And uh, what because else? because if you're a ground ball right, if you, remind me if this is not true, if you're a ground ball pitcher going up against fly ball hitters, that you tend to meet in the middle with line drives. Mm-hmm. If you're a fly ball hitter and you face fly ball pitchers, you hit a bunch of pop ups. I think that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then the managers, uh, we probably know Ned Yost now better than we know any manager, and we know that he doesn't do anything. <laughs> he yeah. really, he really well, if, you, if you just had to replace a manager with some guy off the street, once the game starts, you would want to replace Yost probably because he just doesn't make any moves. He, you wouldn't notice that he was gone so much. Um, he pinch runs, but he never pinch hits and he never changes his lineup. And he just is the, just the extreme of non invasiveness as a manager, which is not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a thing. That's how he is. And the players seem to like it. So maybe that makes it a good thing. And then, uh, Hinch is just sort of, I don't know. He's, I guess he mostly fits the, the sabermetric team model of what a manager should look like in a game, but uh, nothing too crazy or extreme. So I know you love the benches. You love the Royals bench guys. You love pinch runners. And um, Terrence Gore's numbers are incredible. (laughs) His stolen base success rate is amazing. Yes. 92%. 92% as a professional. That's insane. And, and he goes a lot, like 215 professional steals, and he never gets caught. And yeah, that's yeah. wow. <laughs> and, and as a as a and I I'm uh, counted for the preview for the series preview, but it's not just that he goes a lot, but he usually goes on the first or second pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, he has, uh, by my counting, has stood on first base with an opportunity to steal. For 25 pitches, as a as a major leaguer, 20 including the postseason, 25 pitches, not 25 at bats, but 25 pitches, and has taken second base 10 times. So he's pretty much like he's just automatic, and uh, he doesn't even give you he doesn't even spend a couple pitches looking at the pitcher or getting fooled by his move or getting stared back. He just goes, and he's always safe. Yeah, <laughs> he's a delight. He's also the worst player in baseball. <laughs> He hit better than I expected that he would have hit this year. He was in double A. He was probably not the worst hitter in the league. No, you're right. He had actually a, I didn't realize he had a pretty good year in double A. Yeah. 367 on base percentage. It yeah. was a long way. That's pretty good. No power. He must have, the, he, he must have the lowest swing rate <laughs> in baseball. Yeah, he probably does. He must be Ricky Henderson, right? Because they're, they're, they're coming right at him. He can't do damage. 367 on base, 311 isolated, slugging. <laughs> isolated power of 27. Uh, oh, so they're coming right at him, and they know that a walk is a double. 
and he still walked in 10% of his plate appearances. Yeah, wow. So he must just have <laughs> an absolutely out-of-control uh, take rate. Mm-hmm. God yeah. bless him. <laughs> he's um, my... He's other than it, Jake Arietta with his uh, uh, muscles. He is he's my favorite thing in baseball. <laughs> we didn't even mention Jake Arietta's stolen base. That was my favorite thing in baseball. That was yeah, great. you liked that. I love that stolen base. Yeah, you did. <laughs> that was just such a middle finger. Yeah, it made you tweet. It did. That not, didn't not much makes much. me tweet, but that made me tweet. That was really something. Is that hit by pitch was like? I mean, I guess I understand why you do it, but. I thought there was about a 2% chance that either of his was intentional. Did you disagree with that? No, neither one of his was intentional. There was zero chance that yeah, either one was intentional. Right. And maybe you just hit him anyway just to, I don't know, like show that you can hit him in some form. <laughs> oh, well, you hit him because you're hoping that he gets in a fight and gets uh-huh. ejected. Yeah. I mean, I almost wondered whether Sean Rodriguez was the designated uh-huh. keep this going no matter what yeah. guy, yeah. right? Because he's the, I mean, he had an excuse. <laughs> he just took he it so seriously that. But yeah, he's the idiot who was immediately at 10, throwing a punch, mm-hmm. yelling forever. I mean, he, it was almost like I would be, I wouldn't be surprised to find out in a memoir two uh-huh. years from now or whatever, that that was his, that was, this was all planned and that was his role. Keep it going no matter what. Like, he just, no matter what, keep going. And he was all we've got. such a all method actor that he kept it going against the Gatorade thing anyway after it was over. <laughs> well, I think it is, uh, that's the main reason that I, like, I don't know, there, there's, uh, I have a friend who's a screenwriter and we used to talk about how the big flaw with a lot of movies is they're trying to hide information from you the, the viewer, they're, they're trying to keep suspense going. And so then they end up having the character say things that mislead you, even though there's nobody else around to be misled. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like they're they're still playing a role, even though there's nobody else around to see the role. And so you're the only viewer. And so, yes, to that point, at a certain point, I thought, all right, probably Sean Rodriguez is really <laughs> angry right now. And this is not him playing a role. Because the Gatorade bo- uh, thing doesn't punch back and isn't throwing a shutout. Uh, but yelling, staying on the rail, yelling, continuing to yell, continuing to be amped, uh, maybe fits into that. Because maybe he's, I mean, he's, maybe he's trying to get another, uh, an, you know, Arietta to respond in some way. Or some Cub to respond in some way so they can all run back out on the field. Uh-huh. Um, but I do think that if you accept a world where retaliatory pitches are thrown which i don't but if your premise is that that is part of the game that it is equally as valuable to retaliate for mistakes as uh retaliate at uh intentional hit by pitches Uh i think that you either way you are creating a disincentive for the pitcher to throw up and in and if you can uh make the pitcher not want to throw up and in even by accident, if he's more cautious about that, if he's uh, unwilling to throw a certain pitch or a certain location out of the fear that he might miss up and in and therefore be retaliated against, then the 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 job has been accomplished. Mm-hmm. And it was a very harmless location. So yes, it doesn't, it was. doesn't did make you, you as upset as a, a one that hits you in the shoulder or something. Did you have your guy lip read uh, what Watson said? <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, I, I assumed Watson was saying generally nice things. Like, I, I sort of feel like if I had to guess, I would say that Watson was like, Watch out right. for Sean Rodriguez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it was like, you know, we had to do that. No hard feelings. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so back to Astros Royals. So the, the Astros bench is He's like. Been. What? It's a, how long is this going? <laughs> Astros it's, bench is like a whole. It's an hour and six minutes. <laughs> a whole good team on itself. Like, you, yes. could, you could almost make a playoff team out of the Astros bench. Well, you couldn't because a lot of those guys <laughs> were on the Astros yeah. when they were bad. You could but. make a bad team out of the Astros bench. You could. Every I think every guy on the Astros bench could start for somebody. Yeah. No. Like there, is, there is a team that would sign every one of those guys to at least, if not necessarily start on day one, to at least kind of be very close to starting. Mm-hmm. At least one team. How does Hank Conger have a two percent cut? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't know about it until yesterday. It's crazy. 
It's ridiculous. Two <laughs> percent. And Castro with the same pitchers. Castro's got a thirty. Is this the same picture? Because I didn't look to see if like Conger has been a personal catcher for someone no, who doesn't hasn't. check nope. the runners or something. Nope. They're they split pitchers pretty much equally. Jeez. Like like almost almost exactly equally in a lot. Like he and Ke- uh, he and uh, for Keuchel and for Fires and for Casimir, it's like almost a perfect split. McHugh has a, has more with Castro, but still it's like twenty and ten. So it's not personal catcher it's basically the same guys and it's not like castro's sal perez or name your strong-armed catcher behind Mm -hmm. the plate he's just a guy yeah and yeah 42 for 43 it's amazing (laughs) it's it's a a complete statistical miracle and i wish i noticed it before can't play index uh, i had to submit can't play index catcher cut stealing percentage i don't think it would be nice if you could but, but yeah, that's me. And he was prior to this year, he was like, like slightly below average, but barely like a few percentage points every year. So I don't know whether he's had arm issues this year or what, but man, that is really something. And if he's catching when Terrence Gore is on base, that's like the biggest mismatch imaginable. Uh, okay. I, I mean, I honestly like I, they basically share playing time, not quite fifty-fifty, but close to fifty-fifty. And um, I think it's and not really on any particular pattern that I can tell. Mm-hmm. But I would bet Castro catches every game in the series for that reason. Yeah. yeah. I I mean, it's not so much that the Royals the Royals steal bases and are you know generally fast enough, but they're aggressive we saw what they did against john lester and Derek norris last mm-hmm. year and i just feel like you can't they won't stop if conger goes mm-hmm. and um this is the, I, I would bet that conger doesn't i i think conger would start next series if they get there mm-hmm. a couple of games he's a good ball player he's a really good ball player he mm-hmm. should you know he could catch for a bunch of teams but yeah. i would be surprised if he starts a game in this series for that reason yeah okay anyway i went with uh royals in five I went with uh, Royals. <laughs> okay. But I basically, I as I always do, I said, I you know, there's no there's no rational prediction here. Pakoda has them roughly 50-50, close enough to 50-50. Uh, and uh, so I I picked uh, based on uh, Esky magic. Mm-hmm. If if they don't put if they don't put Unel es- uh, not Unel Alcides <laughs> Escobar in the leadoff spot. <laughs> Then uh-huh. I would change my prediction, even though even though es- Escobar is has no business being in the leadoff spot, I am completely basing my prediction based on the irrational decision to pursue Esky magic. Okay, all right. So we'll be back. We'll talk about the first games of that series. We'll talk about NLDSs. You can send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. There's a lot of playoff talk going on during games, before and after games, in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. Use the play index when you are trying to come up with clever tweets during playoff games. Use the coupon code BP and get the discounted price of $30 on one-year subscription and rate and review and subscribe to the show on iTunes. It helps us out. We will be back soon. 